0: Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this beautiful November day for you, evening for me, Tracy Pearson. How are you?
1: I'm excellent, Dave, and you are right. It is a beautiful day here in Southern California. It truly is. How how about out there in Marietta?
0: Well, Well, Tracy, did it get above like 48 degrees today? No. No, it didn't. Uh, but yeah. it didn't rain, so hey, you know we take positives where we can get it. Um, as long could be fo- worse. As long as followers of UCLA, we just take positives as they come. We're not expecting them, but when they show up, we're like, whatever,
1: that's great. I want all the bros that go on on the site and in the thread of this podcast. I want you to tell me what where that quote is from. Could be worse. Could be raining. So mm. everyone over. 55 is going to get that. Great.
0: Well, okay. For that set, you got it. Um, We have a lot to discuss today, Tracy. Um, (laughs) UCLA has both a football and a basketball team. We're going to talk about them both. I know it's ambitious, uh, but here we are, and we're ready to do it.
1: That's what we do. We are. We are. If we're not anything, we're ambitious.
0: We are ambitious men. Uh, doing an ambitious thing. Um, I want to. I, I, I know it's kind of crazy. It's USC week with football and everything. I want to talk basketball first. Can we talk basketball first?
1: Wow, that's that's just that's kind of blasphemy. I mean, seriously. I need to pick yes, my basketball. energy
0: up, and the way I'm going to do that is by talking about hoops. Okay. So I'm sure um, to make you happy. Mick Cronin. Uh, he's got another one against Hofstra tonight. Correct? It's tonight. Yeah.
1: That is. Eight. That is
0: correct. Yeah.
1: It is. Uh, it, this is Thursday afternoon when we are. Yeah, the, it's.
0: Uh, I was like, right, are we going to do the kayfabe? But no, we're not going to. It's. It's no. tonight. Yeah. Um, so uh, they're four zero at this point. I mean, no real bears on the schedule yet. So it's a. It's a sense making four um, and zero. But I. I'm gonna. I'll offer my piece first. I'm kind of impressed with where they are from, like an energy and effort and buy-in perspective at this point in the year. I was, I was anticipating it being a little bit harder to get everything kind of situated, especially after watching the exhibition and the first game of the year.
1: Uh, absolutely, um, and I don't want to overhype this a little because there are going to be some bad games this season.
0: Definitely. There are be,
1: There are going to be some games where. They don't play well. They don't play with energy. They stop playing defense, and they get blown by twenty. I mean, that's that's going to happen. So I don't want to blow this up too much, but yes, I I absolutely agree. It's it's been it's been kind of impressive uh, the buy in uh, and the thing that just. Uh, it was not the Hofstra game. What was, uh, sorry, Hofstra's tonight. It was, I think it was UCSB when, uh, Jules Bernard took a shot. It was a bad shot. And I think it was a dead ball, ball went out of bounds and he just turned and started walking towards, <laughs> towards the bench. Yeah. He knew, he knew he was coming out bad shot. He just turned and started walking to the bench. He knew he was getting pulled. I seem, was... To rem-
0: I seem to remember that sort of thing from early Howland. Like the first few yeah. years of Howland, where it was just like, guys just like knew, oh, wow, I just made a bad mistake. I am totally coming out of this game.
1: What's so crazy and weird about this is we're like relishing this like it's some rare. And not not to take anything away from Mick Cronin, but isn't this the way it should be? I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, aren't we at square one here, really? I, I, I to an extent, but
0: I also think there's a lot of coaches who will do it um, at different points with different players. But it's rare to, I, and I think that maybe part of it is um, there are no like true stars on this team, so you're not really—I don't know—you're not having to coddle egos the way you might with like a typical one-and-done type. Um, but mm, yeah, no, I don't is,
1: think that's right. Actually, I mean, it might seem like that, but. There are still some guys on this team that they, they have to manage them quite a bit. Maybe it doesn't look like that as much from some other guys we've seen in recent years, but there is, there is personality management going on by the coaching staff.
0: Oh, yeah, just, I, I'm sure there is. I was just kind of trying to piece it together generally, why, why it might seem so unique here, because even beyond uh, just UCLA... Um, I've noticed like not as many coaches these days doing that sort of thing where they're, you know, yeah. using the bench as a teaching tool. And I wonder if it has anything to do with just like the, um, I, I, and you know, players have always been kind of ego driven, but, a um, kind of increase in like coddled, you know, ego driven type players. Um, yes, I don't know. But anyway, it's it's been very good, um, and I think obviously it does speak to our perhaps low expectations at this point. That simply yes. a coach visibly coaching and coaching effort um, and coaching good decision making is like a revelatory experience for us. But look, that's here, we, that's where we are right now, man. We just dealt with six years of Steve Alford. We 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 have we have a very low bar, and he is leaping over it right now.
1: And, and let me tell you this too. I'm going to make a. a, a like in a parallel association with Chip Kelly and his non-conference, uh, experimental kind of coaching. Mick Cronin is experimenting right now. He he started Alex Olazinski for a couple of games to send those guys a message. Then he, I think it was only the last two games when Jalen Hill and Cody Riley both start. I mean, he's sending them all a message. He's exper- he's absolutely experimenting. On and he has not brought out, if you watch that offense, it's it's a motion offense, but it's it's like really really one set of a motion offense. He he's not doing that much. Um I think he's completely similar to Chip Kelly is experimenting right here. But he's 4-0. and oh. <laughs> Yeah. And <laughs> so, the only one
0: that was close, really, was the opener. Um, right. And that was, I think, a unique situation where you had no real film on Long Beach State playing together. Like, that was a whole team of transfers. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at... And honestly, defensively, I think they've been much, much better defensively than I thought they would be at this stage. But also, I don't... I, I'm not seeing, like a lot of the stuff they installed at Cincinnati defensively, they're not doing yet. Um, Yeah. It's mostly they're just playing that straight switching man, but there was a lot of matchup zone that he was doing at Cincinnati based on the matchup. Um, There were different things they were doing in their man that they're not currently doing. Um, So, yeah, I mean it's still at the very beginning stages, which is why I think, you know, we've both been more or less just grading effort and the effort's
1: been tremendous. Um, and, and what's funny about that too, against Southern Utah, I mean, the first half defense was good up till about sixteen minutes. And then through that moment, through most of the second half, I mean there were there were moments in the second half when they, they played better defensively, but they absolutely lost focus defensively. And it didn't I don't think it was physical at all. The way I interpreted that, they just absolutely are not used to having to sustain mental energy and focus for that long a time. Yeah.
0: But the, the, and that's the crazy thing for me, is even getting whatever they got out of them in that game, 15, 20 minutes of like really solid and, and great effort, that's way ahead of schedule for me. <laughs>
1: like after yeah. watching
0: the Alford years, where you'd see a spurt of it for like a minute or two... Um, you know, closing a half or something. Um, You're really seeing sustained effort for a long period of time, and you're seeing tired jumpers in a way that you didn't see under Alford. Like, a huge part of the lack of shooting right now, I mean, obviously it's a lack of shooters, but some of it's just <laughs> these guys are expending a ton of effort, Um, and their legs are a little bit done, and you can see it, like, especially in the early second halves of some of these games where guys just, like, Chris Smith, I saw him take a couple of jumpers where it was like, oh, wow, He's front rim in all of those because he's tired.
1: So you're actually advocating the Steve Alford approach. Don't tire yourself out on defense because you need that energy on offense. Dude. I am not. I am not. <laughs>
0: that is that is blasphemy. Um, I will not accept this. Um, but, but I think that's a part, part explanation of why it's just not been there because these guys are not used to working that hard in a game.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I and I I I still think it's not even physical; it's just mental too. They're not used to sustaining that kind of mental focus for that long of time. Yeah, Um, but like in the piece that I wrote after uh, Southern Utah, it I, I really we've seen what this I think this team can be. Like they've established; he's established his base defense. It's a nice strong man that you know collapses. Everyone rotates. They go for the blocks. They switch. And then maybe he'll build on that as the season goes, like you said, and start doing some things he did defensively um, at Cincinnati. And then uh, the kind of big breakthrough—not big, but a a perceivable breakthrough—I saw in Southern Utah was the offense actually created looks before. And last, the games before that. They kind of run around. They execute an offense. There were screens. There were handoffs. And but there was not. There wasn't a clean look. There were a lot of good looks at Southern in against Southern Utah. They just missed all those shots. So, if he keeps building up the defense, keeps layering on that, the offense continues to improve its execution. Really, I think it does. Really, come down. Is there anyone who can like consistently hit a shot? Um, Chris Smith might be the, at least the partial answer because right now we're used to Chris Smith of old that every time he pulls up, we're all, Oh, you just feel it's not going in. Yeah. But now he's shooting like what? 50% from three, something. Yeah. So maybe we're, you know, we should just throw off our old assumptions and give him the benefit of the doubt right now. Um, and like I said, I, I think David Singleton is going to be a secret weapon that once he gets his, his legs back and he gets in good shape and he gets up to speed and I write, I think right now, just that's the coaching staff has not seen David Singleton, the one that we saw last year. Yeah. And I, as soon as they do, I think they're, they're going to consider it kind of a revelation and, I, but who knows how long that takes, um, So, there's a lot of upside to be looking forward to here, I think.
0: Yeah. And um, on that singleton point, and it was uh, the whole thing was great. Um, If you get a chance and you have the time, if you haven't watched Mick Cronin's um, weekly scrum with the media this week, it's like 16 minutes. Um, It's all great. And um, I'm not ready to transition to football talk, but it was really. Like the stark comparison between how he was discussing the team and his frank and honest answers to basically every question, and then like Chip Kelly parsing like what a quality control guy does um, to like Bolch this week was just so, it was just incredible that contrast.
1: Okay. Anyway. While we're saying this, just while right at this moment, um, Dorian Thompson Robinson does not turn around and scramble straight backwards. We we've all collectively imagined that. <laughs> Okay, keep going. Um, I just yeah, I'm that. not ready. I'm not ready to talk about football. We're, okay, we're going to get okay.
0: to that. Sorry. I'm not ready. Um, that was my but, that was but, my
1: favorite thing of the week though. But Cronin, like
0: essentially what you're saying about him and Singleton, which is something we've been saying for a while, they don't really. Know, he basically said that. He said, yeah. yeah so because uh, Ben asked him the question, and ben, and he was like, yeah, I, I don't know that because I haven't seen this is Cronin talking because I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him in person, and there's only so much you can see on video people keep telling me he's not 100%, he's not 100%, but I can only go off of what I see and what he tells me. And he tells me he's 100%, but um, he basically acknowledged, yeah, there's something missing there right now. Um, And it's just so, listening to him talk, and and just going off of that, um, when he acknowledged, and this is, again, contrasting with the football program, when he was like, "Um, yeah, there's these things that the players need to do differently, but that is 100% on me. If they're not giving the effort, that's me. That's me having to find a way to get that out of them, whether it's using the bench or whether it's doing X, Y, or Z. It's all on coaching. I'm the one getting paid the big bucks. And it's like, Just hearing you
1: say it, Dave, is almost making me cry.
0: Well, it's just like, yeah, obviously. Like, obviously, that's the answer to all of this. You don't blame... If guys are consistently not executing what you want them to do, then you're being a bad communicator, um, and that's just such an obvious precept of million-dollar coaching that it's just so absurd for you know, a per, say a particular coach to consistently blame execution for failures. Um, so I, I found the whole thing very
1: refreshing. I recommend watching it um, if you, if you haven't already. Something to look forward to, though. The David Singleton of last year led the team in three-point shooting. He shot 46.7% from three. Just just imagine if you add a 47% three-point shooter to this team. That's that's pretty significant little boost. And it, it wasn't like he didn't take a lot. I'm I'm not off the top of my head. I got to admit, I got stats in front of me. He took 75 threes last year. Yeah that that adds a, a whole lot um the one guy i want to discuss because he's probably the most interesting to me on this team is Jules Bernard um he's he has talent he clearly has talent he can shoot too i mean he's a he's a decent shooter this is going to be really fun to watch his evolution under under Mick Cronin whether Mick can get him out of his bad habits and get just good shot, bad shot, good decision, bad decision. And whether that ratio starts to become, you know, promising enough to where you can play him significant minutes, because if you can, he's got upside too. Yeah. But this might, I think I expect David Singleton to get back in David Singleton form sometime this season. Jules Bernard could be like a longer process, but I'm really interested to see where we come out on the other side of that.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I agree. Um, and I, I think it could be, you know, he could, the, the Jules Bernard of the end of last year could um, play a huge role. Um, and I think he would be a, a starter type of player. Um, looking at, so one of the, a couple of things that I'm like really excited <laughs> about already with this team. Um, is the what he's already gotten out of Jalen Hill from a uh, blocking shots and offensive rebounding perspective? Um, and yeah, some of this is matchup oriented, just because they've been you know playing some smaller teams and some weaker teams generally. Um, but they're but he's playing in a much more aggressive on the glass type way, um, and both he and Cody Riley are blocking shots at a really high rate, which is such a it's such a hallmark of Cronin's teams at Cincinnati. So it's kind of, I mean, that's that's a really good sign that they're buying in. Um, not just the effort things, but they're also doing those two critical components that are huge for him. Um, that's yeah, really and, the and
1: there's a mentality, too. I mean, Sharif O'Neal rotated over and blocked a shot. Chris Smith is looking for blocks. I mean, you know, it's kind of a, it's a really great theory because players today, recruits today want to score they don't want to play defense they want to score they want to everyone thinks they're a wing they want to put the ball on the floor but the one thing they do really like doing defensively is blocking shots because it makes that highlight reel yeah so that's that's playing into that which is really a a great idea i mean so yeah Uh, and then there's the one guy we got to talk about who right at this moment is my favorite player on the team and that's tiger campbell oh yeah. Um. Like I wrote in the Southern Utah review i think I think they have to create more opportunities for him to shoot the ball um, right now he's he's operating like he's the at least maybe the third option, but I think uh, ball screens uh, and him his ability right now in basketball it's mostly if it's a if it's a screen, it's mostly like a, a pick-and-pop. There's very little pick-and-roll these days <laughs> because no one can make that pass anymore and everyone wants to shoot. But Tiger can do that. Plus, when he's got a lane, he can make that mid-range shot, that floater. So you got to step out and stop him, and then you then you got his passing ability, to like Jalen Hill, uh, under the basket. So he's an offensive weapon that I think they really need to take more advantage of. And last few games, he hasn't scored that much. And I think they need to have him as a scoring threat to open up a lot of the offense too.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, and the
1: guy can play some man defense too.
0: Yeah. the little guy. Yeah, he really can. Um, yeah. no, I've been very impressed with him. Um, the, the, Prince Ali is going to be interesting. Um, Just, I I still don't know if you're going to break all of his bad habits. And if you don't break all of his bad habits, do you really want him taking whatever he's taking, 30, 32 minutes a
1: game at this point? Um, But it might not be all or nothing. It might be, instead of uh, bad decision, good decision is 50-50, you know, good decision is 75 to 25.
0: Yeah, and he's already, I mean, obviously he's already made progress. Like, I don't think Prince Ali from last year would be in any way capable of playing the minutes he's right now playing, Um, but there's still, like, if you're talking about the guys who make the, you know, the decisions where you're like, ah, what was that? It's really him and Bernard um, more than anybody else who are like, oh, wow, bad shot, bad shot. Um, And it's been better. Um, It's certainly been better than really at any point last year, but still has a ways to go there.
1: Yeah. Um, he does. Uh, and and it's like what we're talking about with Jules Bernard, that it's going to be fun to watch his evolution. This is, Prince Ali is just pretty much almost the same thing, but on a lot shorter term. Yes. This has to get turned around right now, pretty much. Um, but from what we've seen, I mean, the number one thing that there were two things with Prince Ali, it's it's defensive effort and good shot, bad shot decision making. I'd say four games in, I'm pretty happy on the first front when it comes to effort. Oh right, I mean, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. The effort's been there, and he's he's been the top steals and probably deflections guy, um, yeah. just on the perimeter.
1: Yeah, and and the thing about it too, which really is good, is a good body language too. Yeah. I mean, uh, I don't know if you saw it, but there was there was one uh, timeout. Uh, it was a, and they're standing around, and Mick, I, I, I really want to get Mick mic'd up one time. I'm going to slip like a mic into his, into his suit pocket because how he's saying it, what he's saying is is just so fun to watch him because you've got to wonder what he's how how he says it is really interesting. But he was saying something, and Prince Ali was was listening pretty intently, and, and then he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> he actually not laughed at but laughed like you know he, how he likes Mick cronin right. so all Lee's buy in and his body language are are really good so I think that's kind of promising now if we can just get that good shot bad shot decision making to like two to one or three to one that'd be good yeah. something like that
0: and it'll be but, tough, especially at the early part of the year. And I don't want to be—I don't want to be too hard on it because I think part of it is he's having to take on more, especially at the end of games, because nobody else is really stepping up, um, like in those—you know—we need a bucket type ways. Um, so I think he's probably taking on a little bit more um, than would be ideal because um, he's one of the few guys who has the confidence to try to create his own shot at this point. Um, so, but anyway, I mean, I, I, I would say early returns four games in, very promising on a ton of fronts.
1: Now let's fast forward. Let's just, because we can do this because we're not coaches or players. You know, I love that. I think we talked about it many times, the argument on the forum where someone says well, they're looking ahead and said, no, one game at a time. He said, dude, we're not, we're not players or coaches. We can do this. This is what we do. So just think about right now, you can't foresee uh, Jalen Hill, Cody Riley, Chris Smith going pro. Chris Smith might be the guy who would have the best chance of going pro, and he really seriously would not you have a
0: have, chance. You have to factor in the UCLA factor here. I know, right, but I the know UCLA- they shouldn't have a chance, but Chris Smith and Jalen Hill I would keep an eye on because right. it's just okay. UCLA.
1: But you'd have to still think, okay, a lot of that too, though, I think, was also Alford's program of where there wasn't a lot of uh, down-to-earth discussions, frank discussions going on, necessarily. Sure, maybe but
0: also, I mean, Halland uh, had trouble keeping guys, uh, you know, in the program. Um, right. It's but just a lot of it is still, UCLA.
1: Right, but those are guys still who projected higher than these guys are going to project. I think. Well, let's just, hey, Dave, indulge me. I'll okay? indulge you. Let's do it. Okay. So let's say these guys return and you add Dacian Nix. And then you got two more scholarships. And, you know, right now, I'd have to say, and this isn't based on any great inside information, just a, an accumulation of some information. You still, he's looking good for, for Joshua Christopher. Have you watched tape? Of, I've seen him in yeah, person. He's, have he's you watched it yeah yeah so you throw him into this everyone's older and then maybe you get a developmental center somewhere by spring you don't really need him th- next year That's that's really exciting and the whole mick Cronin defensive uh tactics and mindset have sunk in more the effort level that's that's kind of exciting to think about
0: yeah well and that's Yeah, well, first, I mean, uh, like, that's very far ahead, and I do agree um, that that team next year could be very good. Uh, I think this team this year can be good. Um, I'm so right now, Ken Palm has this um, still projected as a 15 and 14 team. Um, I'm starting to think so. I've watched a little bit of the rest of the Pac 12, and I I kind of agree with the preseason assessment that the league is just generally better. But yeah. there still aren't any like elite teams in this league, I don't think. Um Arizona has looked, you know, they look talented. Um, Oregon has looked talented. But I don't know. This team's definitely not finishing 8th in the league, and I'd put pretty good odds to de- make the NCAA tournament at this point. Um there's a lot uh, there's a lot of buy-in so far. Um, yeah. And as we see the development of guys like Chris Smith over the course of the year, um, it should, I mean, it should continue. I mean, obviously success is uh, uh progress isn't linear, but I mean, I would expect this team to be playing pretty good basketball by, you know, midway through conference play. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it could be a good, solid tournament team this year, setting up for a really nice
1: run next year. And And most importantly... Well, not most importantly, but, you know, just equally important. Mick Cronin's suit game. It's so good. Wow! He's wearing suits that fit, Tracy. Who dresses you, dude? That is... Wow. Those suits. I get... Sometimes when I'm watching the game, I'm distracted by the damn suit. I know. And, like, remember
0: Alford and those, like, untailored, baggy-ass suits? Just awful. And then you, like, where he just got it off the rack and literally put it on. Like, didn't get it in any way altered to fit his body. Then you've got,
1: Cronin is wearing, like, just a perfect fitting suit. Every time. Uh, Just not, but the color and the balance, with his, uh, with his skin color. Just seriously. I mean, Uh, I don't remember anyone this well dressed. Alfred was wearing, like, quadruple break pants
0: that are, like, fitting over his shoes, like, from front to back, dragging on the ground. Um, like, just... I'm I'm obsessed with the fit. It was so bad. Um, so, actually, uh, a guy who just has suits that fit is... Again, I've got a low bar. I've got a really low bar for this coach. So, the fact that it's also, like, nice patterns and, like, really subtle stripes and stuff, that's great. But just the fact that his suits fit, that's incredible. Well, it,
1: it, yeah, I mean there's absolutely that and i mean coach i don't mean to you know be insulting at all but going into this you kind of had a pension for that bright gold under armor shirt and so maybe our expectations on the suit game were a little low right just a little i mean because you weren't sure how the dressing but dude hit it out of the park don't you I, think?
0: I, I I was not a I was not a bright gold Under Armour hater. I think that's a fine look. I think really? a lot of people had a lot of issues with it, but I think a lot of people were wrong.
1: Okay, okay, okay. I I get it. Yeah, i we'll go with that. I'm just. Saying. But man, the look. Uh, I mean, uh, like right now, I really am looking forward to watching them play against Hofstra. But there's a little bit of interest to, to see what Mick's wearing tonight.
0: This is great. This is a great conversation. So- USD week.
1: We're doing Someone great. pointed out his, his his watch, too.
0: Yeah, good watches. I, I'm not a watch guy, but apparently good watches.
1: Not a watch guy either, but yeah, maybe you guys should Google that watch.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, we've done enough on basketball, unfortunately. Um, and now okay. we talk football. The football team plays a football game this football weekend.
1: On a football field in a yeah. football
0: stadium. Um UCLA taking on USC this weekend, a uh, week after uh getting the life squeezed out of them um like a you know like the last dregs in like a toothpaste roll like just like squeeze the last little bit out of them by the end of that game 49 to 3 to Utah now they take on USC um i'm in the process of finishing up the preview by the time this is being listened to it'll probably be up and done um but it uh it's not a bad matchup the way Utah was. Um, there's one particular area where it is, um, but the rest of it's not too bad. That area where it is, though, is a real is. problem um, yeah. because his name is Michael Pittman and their name is the entire UCLA secondary, and I really don't know how they're going to cover him. Um,
1: Why did he stay in college football?
0: I, he never really put up the numbers, I think, I until care. this year. don't care.
1: Um, There's enough tape on that dude.
0: <laughs> I would think so. I would have thought he would have been like a second rounder at the very worst anyway. Um, but now, I mean, he's having the senior year where he is just an absolute super stud. Um, he's got it all. And he was once a UCLA commitment. Just, you know, I was going to say. Twist that knife it,
1: a little bit. Um, it just completely blew my yeah. I was gonna say, um, do you remember when he was a UCLA commitment? Yeah. I do remember. I do remember. And you know who he was committed to? What coach? Who did that recruiting? Um, you mean Jim Mora? Uh, no, the one on the staff. Oh, who was it? Meat. That was Angus McClure. That Was, was it his Angus region. With Pittman? Yeah. Well, in any
0: case, um, Pittman uh, has turned into like basically kind of the best combination of attributes you want in receiver. He's fast. He's big, he's strong, he's got great hands, and he's competitive as hell. Like, just, will fight you for a ball. Um, He was the entire reason they beat Utah. Um, And I just don't see a good matchup in the secondary for him. I mean, you put Rashad Williams on him to, like, press him at the line, and at least he matches up size-wise, but he'll burn past him in 10 yards. Um, Darnay Holmes is probably a little bit too small to handle him. Um, The safeties are not good enough. Um, I don't think, and this is the other issue... I don't think you can, like, just blanket him, like, with a corner and then a safety over the top. Because then you're putting your guys on islands with Tyler Vaughns and Amon ross eight Brown. And um, that's also not going to be a great advantage. Potential. Um, and it almost single-handedly tips the game for me, um, because I think UCLA is going to be able to move the ball on USC. Their defense has gotten healthier over the course of the year, but they're not great. And they're really not great against the run. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know if UCLA is going to be consistent enough offensively to keep pace with whatever USC is doing to this secondary.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Dave, you know, I can just, I can assess it as this. Yeah. It's a worry. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, so how do they get around that seriously how do you do the you have is, a lot of faith that this that UCLA can, can scheme around this
0: well the thing is the way you beat USC this year the way you should try to play against those receivers is to just drop drop seven or eight um, that's like when teams have had success against this offense and slowing it down it's been when they've dropped a bunch into zone but UCLA's zone has been terrible this year um, when they've gone to that, their secondary has just gotten sliced and diced no matter what. Anyway, um, UCLA has had its most success when it's been able to turn up the heat on the quarterback and bring a little extra pressure, but that's not really the strategy you're supposed to use against USC. Um, because these guys in man coverage, they'll get open super quick and then they've got a quick outlet. Um, and if you let them have the playmakers in space, you know, Amon Roy St. Brown against a, against a corner in man, um, he's going to go a long way. Um, so I, I it's not great. Um, I don't know that there's a really great way for UCLA to play it. I think the way I would choose to do it is just do what you do well, which is try to get after the quarterback with that scheme they were using for the three games against ASU, Colorado, and Stanford, um, and hope for the best in man. Because uh, I think they're going to tear you up anyway, so yep. just hope for the best in man.
1: Yep, absolutely agree. Try to create some negative yardage if they burn you. Uh, you're not going to prevent it with bend and not break. You, it, it's it's going to happen it, 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 regardless. So try to get at the quarterback, try to get some sacks, try to get a fumble, try to force a hurry and an interception while Joshua Kelly keeps the UCLA offense on the field.
0: Yeah, just grinds, like just five-yard grind. gain, six-yard gain, just the entire game.
1: And this is the thing too, USC has to be thinking, first off, they have to know that this is should be UCLA's tactic. And secondly, just from a pride standpoint, we're not going to let that guy do this again. So we're playing chess here. So the next step then is how does Chip Kelly, if USC just crowds that box, how does Chip Kelly sustain long drives, eat up clock, move chains? It's going to have to rely on a short passing game. It's going to have to get mixed in with that running game, and I don't have a lot of confidence in that in that game that we've seen uh, the short passing game. That uh, do you, Dave? That that can be done by this offense, or that <sighs> the plays there's a, the play the appropriate plays are called.
0: I mean, I could see it. Um... It's. I think the offense has shown the capability to do that at different points. Um, now, in light of what we just watched against Utah, gosh, no. But we've seen better play from Dorian thompson Robinson. We've seen better play calling from this offensive staff um, at different points this year. It's just the thing that I'm having the most issue with is just trying to gauge this team week to week. Um, because it does seem like the, just the consistency. I, I like. I don't really know what's going to show up week to week. And you know, I thought Chip was interesting this week in saying that he doesn't do. They don't introduce any new concepts um, week to week because I think you could have fooled literally everyone who watches the football games then. Uh, because we're seeing new and different run styles, run concepts every single week. Yeah. Um, last week it was that weird thing that I think now Osgood has finally decided is a sprint draw. Um, <laughs> is that
1: what we're going to call that? I think okay. that's
0: what he was saying. I, I was calling it like a weird counter. Um, but whatever you want to call it, that thing
1: was new. They weren't
0: doing that before. It's
1: sprint draw, sorry, Chris. Sprint draw doesn't really capture that it's going against the flow. Of the, I, I mean, a counter makes more sense to me.
0: It was. But, but it's, I, mean, I would almost like it's a draw counter or something like counter. that. Yeah, draw a counter. Uh, counter draw or some some crap like counter that. counter draw. Did it work once? I, I think there was one play that would have been called successful. Um, one
1: of the three or four that they did. So here's the thing. This is the thing for me, Chip Kelly. If you if we all just even concede that he takes you know uh, he takes the non conference, he takes other games, and he puts it all together to say the either set up teams by getting a lot of stuff on tape that's going to make a defense shade this way or scheme this way, and he's got it all prepared. He's been waiting for that moment. He's been setting this up for a season. This is when you let it all go. This is the game. This is... it's. I mean, while there's really almost nothing riding on it from a standpoint of conference standings, I mean, yeah, if USC wins... They need Utah to lose to, what, Colorado and Arizona. Mm-hmm. What are the chances of that, Dave? I want you to set the chances on that.
0: Uh, Utah on the road at, at Arizona is like a 23-point favorite, so I think that makes them like 90 to 95% likely to win the game. And then I think Colorado's at home. Yes. Um, so they'll probably be at least the same 23 points. Um, so, I mean, I would call it, there's like a... What would that be? You're the
1: probability guy. That's why I asked.
0: Yeah, I mean, that would be like a 20% chance that they lose one of the two, I think, if you did it 90% each.
1: I think that'd be high, but okay. Um, Like
0: an 18% chance, 19% chance. But uh, yeah, I do think that's high. I mean, I think it's probably more likely that they win those like 95 plus percent of the time, and then it's an almost negligible chance that they lose either one of them. The one that I would say that I would keep an eye on is this weekend. Um, at Arizona, it can always get weird.
1: Right. So, really, there's nothing writing on this game. Uh, you know, whether you think Clay Helton gets fired because UCLA beats them, I mean, first off, for a UCLA fan, it shouldn't even be ap- applicable because I don't think a UCLA fan should ever root for USC when it's playing directly against UCLA. I, I that's
0: I disagree. I, I, I think there's really. only one scenario, and that's when you want the coach fired. You can then sit there and say, "Okay, yeah, I want USC to end this one."
1: Wow. Okay, um, but we don't want him fired,
0: <laughs> right? No, <So>, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just yeah. saying that's that's the one situation where you can really say, All right, see
1: yeah, that's the fine. odds. The odds that a UCLA win keeps uh, has them. Re- uh, I'm sorry, a UCLA loss makes the USC powers of be keep clay helton that's such a remote thing this decision has been made whatever it is retain him or it's not going to ride on the UCLA game well, and it's I, not going to even I, have a big impact the thing
0: is the most important thing for UCLA is getting its own house in order like it doesn't exactly the thing is clay helton is i mean what what are they going to finish this year like 8 and 4 USC yeah. Yeah, um, he's doing a better job right now than the UCLA coach. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, Urban Meyer would do a much better job, right? But it—it's it, already UCLA is already in kind of, um, if not like grim disaster territory. Maybe the three three game winning streak got him out of that. They're still in like alert, alert. Things are going very wrong territory.
1: Right. So that's what I'm saying. So. You the significance of this game is really all about Chip Kelly's program. Yeah, exactly. you win. You win two USC games in a row. He's done, he'd be undefeated against USC. You are on your way to six and six in a bowl game, and people can confidently say that the program is on the upswing. Recruits can feel pov- positive about their about a potential us- choosing UCLA. It, it plus you just can't discount the kind of morale for the players in the offseason just think if you're a player on this team and from december through next uh september you have to sustain energy when you're going through offseason workouts you're going to school and you know the coaches and the strength and conditioning are are running you into the ground and you have to have your morale has to be good yeah, you you want to send them off into the off season with a positive mindset about the program. Plus, you, I mean, how about the graduating seniors too? I mean, just from that standpoint, what the hell they've been through? You'd like them to look back on their UCLA experience that it closes out on a good on a good note. I mean, there's so many things, but just Chip Kelly's program needs that. Really needs that win because. You lose to USC, and even if you beat Cal, you don't go to a bowl game. It's still iffy whether this was could even somehow remotely be considered a successful program or, at the very least, improvement. What would you say, Dave, if that scenario happens? Lose to USC, beat Cal. Uh, then you're looking at five and seven. Um, it depends on how
0: bad the USC loss is. So I'll give you the advanced stats perspective on it first. Um, yes. So right now, UCLA is, according to SRS, which is just a simple rating system, um, which basically is assessing how much better you were than like the average team in a given year. Um, right now, uh, UCLA is having its well best season of the last three um but it's a uh, worse than Mora's 2016 season when they went four and eight um worse than more obviously any of his other years um a little bit better than 2011 a little bit better than 2010 or the new heisel but worse than 2009 um worse than any year except his first year um so even with the upswing um it's still like a considerably bad year um okay so you're doing
1: a lot of data but let's just say what's your opinion of recruits or fans of a five and seven
0: i think you can spin it um at six and six like i think that's the point at which you can spin it i don't know that you can spin it at five and seven especially with basically no big wins it's in other words
1: this game is really vastly important for this program
0: yeah, I think you might be able to spend five and seven if it's USC and then they lose to Cal. Exactly, um, but yeah. you can't do it the other way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I think it's hugely important. Um, and I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you and the the not the the possibility I don't want to discount is lose both um, because UCLA is not going to be much more than like a six or seven point favorite at home against Cal. Um, especially now that Garbers is, well, we'll see if he's back again. He got hurt again in this last game. Um, but Cal could do, I mean, th- their defense has not been as good as it was last year, but they can still do some things. So um, if they lose this one badly, you've got that weird hangover effect that always seems to happen after the USC game when it's not the last game of the year. I don't know.
1: I now, what is that about? Can Is there someone we can talk to? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I really don't know. more always had it. Um,
1: and uh, so I. I have you know. heard? I mean, you do the pack. you do that podcast, a champion thing. Uh, have you never, you haven't put in a call to the PAC 12 offices and say, what's up, dude? I mean, why? Why is. Well, not- the
0: whole reason is because of the Notre Dame scheduling.
1: Are you kidding me? Our lives are being dictated by Notre Dame?
0: Yeah, and it's not just uh, USC's Notre Dame scheduling, it's Stanford's Notre Dame scheduling.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I, There's so many things I want to say, but I'm just, I'm not going to yeah. say it.
0: But that's a big part of it. And that's why USC and Stanford almost always play in like the first section of the season. They're almost always playing in like the first or second game of the year. Um,
1: I did not know this. Yep. And that's, all to work at that's Notre really Dame during frustrating. during conference
0: play. Yeah, so they can get the Notre Dame. So USC gets the Notre Dame road game in October, and then they get it in the home at the end of November uh, every
1: other year. Wow, okay. Yeah, so, okay, I got you. I've got my anger channeled for the day.
0: There you go. There you go. It's all Notre Dame. And when you
1: can blame things on Notre Dame, isn't it a good day? It's not even, you know what, when you really think, yes. But when it's not really even Notre Dame's fault. They are what they are. It's the people who are, like, bending over backwards for them or, you know, whatever analogy you want to use for them. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, frustrating. Oh, very
0: frustrating. Um, so, yeah, this is a big critical game for UCLA. Um, I was saying, uh, I, I think the the scenarios that I think are live for this one are first, USC blowout is definitely alive. Like they could, if, if they're really on in their passing game, um, it could get ugly. I think a narrow win for either team is alive, but I don't think something similar to last year where it was more or less a UCLA commanding victory. The final score didn't necessarily reflect it, but it was a pretty commanding win. I just don't see the team fully capable of that this year. Um, I don't think the offensive line is as strong. I don't think the running game is operating at the exact same level. Um, I think they'll be able to move the ball, um, but I don't think it's going to be that kind of just commanding performance. USC is a lot better than they were last year. They were a bad team last year.
1: Yeah, um, you felt like
0: you, you felt like they had given up. Yeah, and UCLA at best is only marginally better than last year. So if you say UCLA is about even with last year and USC is quite a bit better, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be. I, I, I would. Pr- I'm going to predict uh, probably like a USC ten point win. I don't think they're going to cover, but um, I think that's totally on the table.
1: So. Um... You also have to consider playing at the Coliseum. And it's always harder. Always. It's always harder. Why is it? I mean, they won, what, it, again, with Mora in his second, second year? Yeah, second year.
0: 2013.
1: Uh, yeah. Um, and then, you know what? Let me pull this out here. Uh, when's the last? When's the other last time that they, oh, my God, there are a lot of L's here. It was back in the 90s. 1997. Yeah, then you got to go through to that. You got to go to the win streak. Yep. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I mean, this.
0: And. Well, and if you look at margins, like the margins are different, too. Like it's not just that they lose, it's that they lose big generally at the Coliseum. And then even even the worst UCLA teams, like those Durrell teams, like that 2004 Durrell team, they played USC close at home. It was like 29 24. That was the Spencer Habner, you know probably recovered a fumble and should have returned it for a touchdown, but they called it back. Yeah. Um, they've generally played closer at home and then gotten blown out on the road. Um, right. In this rivalry. So proof that home road actually does matter because it's all proximity. It's the literal stadium matters.
1: Yeah. It, it, I mean, uh, coaches always talk about the travel is what does it. And I'm sure that contributes because it gets you tired. Sometimes you're different uh, time zone. But this proves that it is it is absolutely that home that home field advantage, yeah, yeah uh, but just I since we're wrapping up, so I just wanted to reemphasize while it doesn't a lot of uCLA fans might be thinking this isn't necessarily an important game because it really doesn't decide you know. Uh, fans are so used to it, this is a pretty good rivalry you know there are a lot of times the rose bowl was on the line or there were two top 10 teams playing against each other and none of that pertains this season but it's a really important game for chip mm-hmm. kelly's ucla program
0: yeah if uh yeah i think if if they don't win it, it puts them in a really tough spot entering um Offseason and then trying to sell this to the last little batch of recruits they're gonna get in over the next couple of months.
1: They'll certainly be they'll still be using their their sales pitch, which was look, we had to raise this all the way to the ground and we're on the upward swing. We went, you know, three and nine to five and seven or whatever. But they go six and six, they go to a bowl game. You almost don't have to sell it. <laughs> Yeah, Uh, that that's almost self-explanatory right there for most recruits. So one
0: one thing like and this is kind of a overarching like big picture thing that maybe isn't worth like getting into at a huge level right now. But you don't I, I know we've been kind of saying these things throughout, but like, you know, you don't usually see a team start off looking as bad as Chip Kelly's and then turn into like a national title contender in the next three years. You don't often see like successful regimes um, still in their deep into their second year getting blown out by forty six points and then turning out great. Um, so last week I was like going into it like if that was a twenty one point loss, even four touchdowns or whatever, and UCLA at least looked like they were in it a little bit, um, it would have been one thing. But to get shellacked by like forty six points, that's a different deal um that's a i mean it's just that's that's pretty disaster level stuff um so yeah i i i think this one is going to be critical because you've got to wipe that out now um you've got to wipe that out from the record <laughs> you know you you really yeah. need to you really need to do something major positive to make up for looking like that deep into your second year
1: yeah and you know we can t- well We'll do podcasts in the offseason, and, and one thing I want to talk about, and, and I don't want to get into it now, is like the article I wrote after the Utah game, that I think a lot of this is, is not being able to just self-scout, not being able to know how good you are and what your team, what your players and your you know, offensive unit is, Tracy, is they have, capable they have, of.
0: They have quality control. They have guys who, everybody on the team does it. It's a silly point. It's a silly point, Tracy. That's Chip Kelly brought up this week. Yeah. Okay, good. Then I'll just throw that out. (laughs) Yeah, just throw
1: it out. Toss it in the trash.
0: Yeah. Oh, boy.
1: I think we did well. I think we we handled everything. Right now, I think people are tired of hearing our voices.
0: Yeah, I get that. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. Stay safe out there if you're going to the Coliseum. And uh, hopefully, it's a good weekend of UCLA athletics. All right. We'll talk to you soon.
1: See you, everyone.